You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the Westside Community News, and today is a rare Pacers game day where I am not talking about their game against the Charlotte Hornets coming up tonight. They've already played them twice. You can get a feel for what the Hornets are. Today, it's finally happening. I'm previewing the Pacers trade deadline with my thoughts, my perspectives, my fake targets. No fake trades, just guys I think would make some sense for the Pacers to target. And here's the problem. That list is long because the Pacers are not very good. and They have a lot of directions they could go. That would make a lot of sense. So there's a lot of names to talk about, a lot of stuff at play for the Pacers, and a lot of directions they could go. And that's kind of where I want to start. Before I talk about names specifically, what the Pacers could be thinking, where this could be headed, the Pacers have to set the table. And I'm going to write this article in the next couple days. But the important thing to start with before we talk about the Pacers at the trade deadline is how the Pacers should actually navigate this deadline. How do they determine their direction? Because so far, what we've heard as fans, what we've seen from the team, what we've heard said is they might be headed for a rebuild. But then Herb Simon says, hold on. Hold on, we might be headed for a retool, but their roster situation says a rebuild's better, and their standing situation says a rebuild is better. But their owner, who has seen retooling work many times, would like to retool. So it's important for the Pacers to pick a direction. I understand Herb Simon getting up there and saying, well, I saw in 2000 uh, Donnie Walsh just turn this team around. He took them from a title team, swapped out some pieces. They were a title team contender just a few years later. That the brawl, maybe they win a championship. I saw Kevin Pritchard... Turn this team from the Paul George era team to the Victor Oladipo era team easily, easily, easy retool, right? Oh, and to, to, you know, the 2011 squad, they retooled, boom, they're right back on top of the East. Herb Simon's seen it. He might want to go that route. The Pacers have to determine a direction. They have to figure out if they want to rebuild or retool. Do they want to get good players and try to be pretty good the rest of this season and good next year? Or do they want to go down this year, get their first top 10 pick since the 1980s, and try to build via some young stuff, some assets, and go that way now that they finally hit on some draft picks with Duarte and Isaiah Jackson. To insert my own opinion, I think going down for the rest of this year makes the most sense for them. Duarte is going to be 25 next year. They're going to probably keep one of their good bigs. Brogdon will still be on the team. Isaiah Jackson will get better. Goga will get better. They'll have their own top whatever pick. Going down for one year certainly seems like a strong way to rebound and be a good team again next year with whatever pieces you decide to keep. But it's imperative that they pick a direction. And I think that the, the the reason it's a little hazy for me still on what the Pacers want to be going forward, and I'll include the specific quotes in the article, and I don't want to spoil anyone anyone's quote specifically because I thought this was pretty telling. At practice one day in early Janu- earlier in January, I asked Malcolm Brogdon and Carol Silver at different times the same question. What is the identity of the Indiana Pacers this season? And I got different answers from them beyond their individual answers, which neither of them were terrible. I don't want to roast these guys for saying what they said, they gave me different answers. And I think that is sort of telling about where the Pacers are at right now, is that the this team is so unknown and ill-fitting that they don't know what they are. This team is still trying to find its identity, and that is also part of choosing this direction, is picking your identity of your team. Are you going to be, as Kevin Pritchard has said, the hard hat, lunch pail, defensive, knock your teeth out, Nate McMillan Pacers again, but better, obviously. They don't want to be a first-round ad every year. Are they going to be a more modern team? 
that sounds great, but modern teams aren't necessarily good. The Kings try to be modern and they are bad, right? And no one wants to be the Kings, but just for example, do they want to try to be a more modern team that plays a more spread out five out style and has aggressive switching and has all this stuff and has guys who can fit that way? Do they want to be a young and growing team that has uh, missing puzzle pieces and can figure it out along the way? Who knows? There are a lot of identities they could choose, but they have to pick one. They can't keep towing the middle line. You know, that even in the draft, and Duarte's awesome. Their draft was great last year. But then with one kind of established young guy and one project young guy, they kind of tried to tow both lines. It's time for the Pacers to pick a direction and an identity. And I think this trade deadline is a good time to do it. They pivoted out of the Oladipo era, the pieces they got, the stuff they tried to do. It didn't really work. Now it's time for them to pick that direction, and this trade deadline is a time to do it. So I think that is something important for them to determine. And I think the summary of all that, if you zoom out, is is it rebuild or retool? Two words we've been saying for basically a month and a half as people who cover this team or follow this team or whatever you are in relation to the Pacers, those words matter. How the Pacers decide to be a retooling team at the deadline or rebuilding team at the deadline will shape the moves they have to make, will shape a lot of the values of their players and will shape the players they target. And in the third segment, when I go through players I target, I have them grouped in a specific way, but I will talk about them under the guise of this is a guy you get if you're retooling. This is a guy you get if you're rebuilding. This is, you know, if they decide to go the middle route, which the Pacers have tried before, this is someone that I think they could identify as a down the middle guy. So we'll get to that kind of stuff, but I think they have to pick a direction because right now Pacers feel directionless. I think we all kind of watch them every day feel that way and when I got different answers from those players and I wasn't expecting them to have like a verbatim written out exact same answer and I'm not even being critical of them for having different answers right there are different ways to interpret what your team is but when you you know the way they were answered just made me kind of feel like huh you know this team is kind of lost in translation right now and so another part of this is when they see themselves in the future as they shape their team, how does that shape their decisions? Do they want to be a young and growing team? Like I said, I inserted my own opinion, and they should bottom out a little bit to the extent they would like to this year, try to be better next year and in future seasons. Do they want to be a young and growing team? Do they want to be good now? Do they want to be tanktastic? Do they want to be the Cavs, right? The Cavs right now are a team that drafted pretty high the last couple of drafts, but then got some vets, and now look at them. They look great. But how did they do it? They just signed the. They didn't just sign the vets at the right time. They didn't just make the trades. They kind of slowly got the right young pieces. It took a long time, but they didn't really tank. They were trying to be better all the last couple of seasons. That's an option too. These are the kind of directional choices that I feel like the Pacers have to make before they can make any trades. And I feel like they've already kind of done this, right? They're not. They're not just going to like show up on February 5th and have a meeting and go, okay, what direction do we want to go? We haven't thought about this at all. The Pacers have already had all these discussions. Teams are always fluid in their discussions about direction. But that is important for the Pacers to determine as they head into this stuff. And the reason trades haven't happened yet, or at least seismic ones or interesting ones, is because of the play-in tournament, right? A lot of teams in the NBA can now say or sell to their ownership or their fan base, whatever, we're close to being good. We're close to making something important. We should be buyers. We should stand pat, whatever. The Pacers are far away from the play and They're 13th in the East. They have not been good this year. They are far enough out that they have a unique opportunity in a year where there will be a lot of teams that will be buyers to be sellers. And I, again, think it is important that they take advantage of that unique opportunity to go kind of against the grain of other teams in the NBA and in a season where a lot of teams can say, we're a playing team. We can do it. The Pacers need to make a direction decision. Do we want to try to compete with that too, even though we're pretty far away? Or do we want to say, hold off, 
We know what we can do now. Let's take this opportunity. And they could decide or they could know, right? And this is where fandom is harder and analyzing stuff like this is harder because fans will always go, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do the Camerettis trade? Well, we don't know what other offers the Pacers have for their picks, uh, you know, stuff like that. We can't, people can't criticize what the Pacers do without knowing what's available. So another part of this that's tough is, yeah, selling might be valuable, but they could know that they have an offer that would be the same in the summer as it would be now. So it doesn't mean necessarily that now's the best time to sell, but it could be more advantageous now when more teams are deciding to be buyers when in the offseason when teams more often and more fluidly can change direction. So I think it's important that the Pacers pick a direction now and make it a part of their trade deadline plans. And I'm sure they've already done that, but they have a unique opportunity in my eyes to kind of take a small step backwards that will help them take a large step forwards in the future, maybe even a bigger step back now to take an even larger step forwards in the future. However you want to describe it, there's always risks involved the larger the step back happens to be. But I think that it's important that they pick a direction before they do anything. And now that the scene is set, and my opinion has been shared, because my opinion has to be involved in a lot of this. In fact, when I'm talking about players that I would target, it's basically all my opinion. But factually based, the Pacers have to pick a direction before they do anything. Let's talk about who the Pacers could deal and why, short of saying everybody, there are 17 and 31 team, what they could do at this trade deadline. I have a lot typed out here. So let's talk about that. But first, let's talk about the good folks over at Prize Picks. So you've been hearing me talk about for months on Lockdown Pacers. And if you haven't signed up yet, you have to. Now is the perfect time because for a limited time, Prize Picks has an exclusive no brainer of an offer for all of our listeners. You can get $50 for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point. All you got to do when you sign up is use the promo code MBA, exclusive offer for Locked On fans. Just got to use the pro MBA. At Price Picks, Price Picks is the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. They offer more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator, and offer all the superstar players as well as bench guys. We only record a handful of minutes. You can do any prop you can think of: points, assists, rebounds, threes, whatever. You can pick two to five players. You can end up winning ten times your entry, and again, you can win fifty dollars if your first entry just scores one point. So go try Price Picks today at PricePicks.com or download the app. That code NBA can get you fifty dollars for free. If your first entry scores a single point, prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every single day. Why not make your second listen any of our other special Lockdown team shows to get the read on those teams and maybe where they're headed at the deadline or how they're playing right now. Anthony Davis just returned for the Lakers if you're interested in Lockdown Lakers, for example. Let's talk about the Pacers key players on their team with this deadline coming up. Short of just saying everybody, because this is one of my more scripted shows of the season. I had to type out a lot of thoughts to be able to get through everything I wanted to talk about at the trade deadline without talking for an hour and a half. So who is available for the Pacers? Well, my first note just says everybody, and that's not true. Not everybody is available for the Pacers, but short of everybody, the Pacers are 17 and 31. They were 34 and 38 last year. They're just not very good. I've talked about on this show a lot, and if you're zooming in for the first time because you're just in Pacers trade stuff, this team just doesn't fit very well. They've made a lot of smart, calculated decisions. They have a clean cap sheet. They've made good trades in terms of asset value. They've done some interesting stuff in terms of coaching hiring that sort of translated their team. But basically, since they traded away Victor Oladipo, who was a strong perimeter defender, good off-court leader, and a varying but effective offensive player at times on this team, they've had an ill-fitting roster that had guys on different timelines. And it just, it's not the right squad right now. So when you're 17 and 31 and you missed the playoffs last year and you got swept the two seasons in the playoffs prior to that, 
It's time to make some changes. So everybody basically, short of short of a few guys, would be available, right? Chris Duarte obviously not available in deals for a team in the Pacers situation. Isaiah Jackson most likely not available for a team in the Pacers situation. Most young guys in general would not be, although there is one name I will mention here that is young and could be available, but who is available and what is their worth? I think that is also important to discuss here. The big one and the most obvious one and the name most frequently mentioned in trade talk is Miles Turner. His availability is there for several reasons. The first one, obviously, is that They've tried this two-center experiment for a while. It kind of works. Rick Carlisle is actually getting the most out of the Miles Turner, DeMontis bonus lineups, and any coach who has tried them together at the same time. But, one, earlier this season, Miles Turner publicly on the record stated he would like a bigger role or to play somewhere where he can have a bigger role. He did not demand a trade. He said he would like more clarity on his role in Indiana, how he can get to be the player he wants to be instead of being a glorified role player. That's all fine. He's allowed to want that stuff. And for a little bit, it looked like he was taking advantage of a little more opportunity. Now, that does not appear to be the case. And now that that bigger role is gone, you know, Turner saying he wants a bigger role is not a trade demand, but when he's not actually getting the bigger role, it's as close as you can get to that. And there's already trade murmurs about him. There has been for seasons and seasons and seasons, and he only has a year and a half left on his contract. His value goes down significantly if he's not traded and he becomes an expiring in the offseason as he might become a rental for his new team. He is extension eligible, so it's not a total drop in value, but it is a little bit of one. He's hurt right now, but... There's a lot of factors at play that suggest he is the most likely pacer to be traded, or at least the one that makes the most sense. What is his value? Well, it's been reported as pretty high. Two firsts, or first and young guy, something like that. A good facsimile that makes sense to me that happened last year was the Aaron Gordon to Denver trade. Uh, the Magic, in exchange for Aaron Gordon, received Gary Harris, a decent vet, but just salary filler, basically. No positive value really on Gary Harris, maybe a tiny bit, whatever. The real prizes for them were R.J. Hampton, who actually picked with the Pacers pick in the 2020 draft, but R.J. Hampton, so a 20th-ish pick. I actually forget the exact range he was picked in, but a first-round pick and then a future first as well. So they got a young player and a first. That seems to be about the right value for Miles Turner. There's been a lot of teams named with interest in him. The Hornets have for forever. The Knicks, like Miles this year. The Kings, the same players that have always been are in on him again this year. Who will get him? I don't know. If he's even dealt, there are reasons and reasons not to. But that value about makes sense to me for Miles Turner. Gordon also had a short amount of time left on his deal at the time of being dealt. So can the Pacers get a young player who has picked mid to late first rounder and a first rounder for him plus the salary filler? Maybe there are some options out there to do it. But that is about the value that makes sense to me. Another player that the Pacers could consider dealing is Sabonis. If Turner hadn't fallen off a cliff or had publicly said he would like a bigger role to be dealt, I would have said it's not crazy that the Pacers just say, whichever big fetches us the most value is the one we'll deal, but Sabonis is much better. That line of thinking does not necessarily take into account that he could fit better with whatever the future Pacers team used to be. That said, Turner is pretty plug-and-play. That's not to belittle either of these guys, but that is possible to say. The, the simile for value for Sabonis I have always used is the Nikola Vucevic trade last year. Vuce was better than Sabonis last year, but was also older, so their trade values are approximately the same. Uh, the Magic for Vooch last year fetched uh, Otto Porter Jr., which was just salary filler, like Gary Harris. Uh, two first-round picks and Wendell Carter Jr. That seems like what I would want if I'm the Pacers uh, trading Devonta Simonis. You know, the Wizards have been brought up a little bit more seriously recently. Like, they have Rui Achimura and Denny Avdia and other young guys whose names are escaping me. Uh, Corey Kispert and, you know, they have some decent salaries in the middle. Like, that, that in theory, could make the value happen. You got to like the young guys to do a deal like that, right? Like, the Magic... Obviously liked Wendell Carter. That was the young guy they got. 
there. So who knows what that is, but that's the value I'd be looking for if I was to deal Sabonis as the Pacers, but that is another guy they could consider dealing to split up the big man pairing. And plus behind the two bigs that I just named, Goga, Batadze, and Isaiah Jackson, they're ready to play, right? So the Pacers have young bigs on their team that they could free up minutes for. The R- Karis LeVert is the third name that's been very often mentioned in trade talks. And some reporting suggests the Pacers are looking for like a first, a young guy for him, or two firsts for him. That seems very high for the production he provides. That said, I just went on Locked on Cavs and talked about this, although that episode won't be out until Friday. Karis LeVert is hard to evaluate in terms of value for me right now because of his season. He was hurt heading into the season. He's on his fourth coach in like 15 months, going from you know, Kenny Atkinson to Steve Nash to Nate Bjorker and to Rick Carlisle. The first, his first 16 games of the season through December 1st, Karis LeVert averaged 14 points per game, less than three assists per game, and shot 40% from the field and 26% from deep. He was recovering from a back injury. He was on his new coach. He wasn't very good. TJ McConnell got hurt on December 1st. Since then, Karis LeVert has been used more as a point guard for the Pacers and has played 17 games, so basically exactly half of his season. In that span, 23 points per game, 5.5 assists per game, shooting 47% from the field, 39% from deep. In the right role, Karis LeVert can provide almost that much value where he's returning a good pick or a young guy, maybe even both to the right team that needs him. The Cavs, obviously, the reason I went on lockdown. Cavs have been interested in him. Other teams have as well. The Pelicans, for example, have been reportedly a team interested in Karis LeVert. Uh, you know, last year, Evan Fournier got dealt. The Magic, I keep going back to the Magic. Last year, Evan Fournier got dealt to Boston for two pretty good seconds, although one of them is the Grizzlies, which might not turn out to be too good, and a giant trade exception. So TBD on what that full value turns out to be. I think Levert has a little more value than an expiring Evan Fournier on a bad team. So more than two seconds becomes you're worth a first, but how much more than that he is worth? I don't really know at this point in time. He's been a very up-and-down player. He's still very talented, though. So I think Levert is probably worth a first. I think the Cavs seem like a good fit in just terms of, like, Ricky Rubio's salary and a pick and a second or something. But that's just me making up the values that make sense for Levert. He's a little harder to come up with a facsimile with. You know, he himself was traded for Oladipo basically last year from the Pacers' perspective. It's hard to get a grip on him, but that's another guy who could be traded. The other, the next three names, I say four really, are just vets who, when you're 17 and 31, this is the kind of names you trade away. And that is Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, Torrey Craig, and TJ McConnell, surprisingly, I put on this list. Look, when you're 17 and 31, trading away vets to clear up playing time for your young guys makes all the sense in the world, right? Duarte, with more playing time, has been awesome recently. Just awesome. He had a great road trip for the Pacers just now. Dwayne Washington is on a two-way contract. He just had a Pacers rookie record for three-pointers made in the game. By trading some of these wings, you clear up some playing time for him. You clear up some playing time for O'Shea Brissett, who is 23 years old. He's young. He's often forgotten about in the Pacers' rebuilding plans, and rightfully so. He was an undrafted guy who they scooped up last year. But he's very young. Clearing out minutes for him by trading some of these wings also makes some sense to me, right? McConnell is just a vet who could fetch some decent value just because cost-controlled quality backup point guard, but he's injured right now, and the Pacers just re-signed him. I don't think he's a guy who would get dealt, and I have no idea what his value is. There's not a really good comparable trade from recent seasons. I just included him because... A veteran on a 17 and 31 team should never really think they're safe. But really, Craig, Holiday, and Lamb are the three that I think if you're the Pacers, you free up time for your young guys. That alone has value. But you can also fetch positive assets for guys that are not helping you too much. Again, you're 17 and 31 and your team doesn't fit that well. It might make sense to deal some of them. Maybe not dealing both of the bit of the wings. You know, Craig especially can be a solid defender who can fit on a young and growing team, but 
seeing what you can get for those guys makes some sense. Like last year we saw Daylon Wright fetch two seconds for the Pistons. Like he's more of a guard than a wing, but you know, you can get decent second round value for those guys. Matt Thomas got traded for a second rounder last year. I don't think Jeremy Lamb has positive value at 10 million a year, but if a team really needs an offensive punch, perhaps he could fetch one second like Matt Thomas did last year. Although I would think that Jeremy Lamb into a, into a trade exception makes a lot of sense or just for like a slightly smaller salary that the Pacers can just cut would make more sense than keeping him. So, you know, maybe two seconds or one good second and a crappy second for the two wings and then nothing important for Lamb makes sense as trades. And then two other trades I want to bring up for values for those guys. One is uh, Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson were traded from the Warriors to the Sixers two years ago. And the Warriors got three seconds for that. Perhaps you package the two wings together to a competing team. And then you can really size up some value there. Maybe that's how you sneak a very, very, very late first is you can trade Holiday and Craig together. Or maybe even Lamb and one of those guys together gets you a good second or a valuable second. And then you just take back some eh, salary, whatever. That is a creative way to me to extract a little more value from those guys if the Pacers are willing to pay the salary price. The other thing that was interesting to me is the Andre Iguodala for Justice Winslow trade that the Grizzlies made a few seasons ago. Iguodala was not even playing for them. His value was very hard to pinpoint. Miami ends up giving up Justice Winslow, who also had a very hazy value at that time. But he is an that that's an interesting one in that Justice Winslow is just sort of a flyer guy who at the time was seen as, yeah, maybe this guy could be something. Former lottery pick, has shown flashes of being good, and in fact has sort of resurfaced as a useful player for the Los Angeles Clippers this year. He's in their rotation almost every night. No, that kind of flyer for both wings makes sense to me. Winslow didn't work out, so people will scoff at that trade. But if he had worked out, everybody'd be like, wow, what geniuses the Grizzlies were for trading a Goodall like that. So trading one of those wings for a, a guy who maybe had a good stretch of his career at one point and is at a down point, or just in general hasn't popped but has shown flashes as a young guy might make some sense to me as well. Those are some trade facilities for those guys. The young guy who I think I would listen to offers on is Goga Batadze. I don't think it's a secret which young guy on the Pacers would be dealt if they dealt one. Uh, they could free up minutes for Isaiah Jackson that way, and if they keep one of their centers, their big man rotation is filled. But Goga has played well recently. The Pacers clearly thought he was the best player available in 2019 when they actually drafted 20, yeah, 2019 when they actually drafted him. You know, I think that they would like him to be the backup center. He's clearly shown recently that he can fill that role. I would listen to offers on him if I could get like first round value back, but I don't think that the Pacers could. Maybe they could. So I would listen, I suppose, but I would not be looking to deal him if I'm the Pacers. Those are the guys that I think make sense for the Pacers to trade from a veteran perspective. No one else stands out as a, oh, the Pacers should be shopping this guy or they'll be listening to calls on this player. TJ Warren is the only vet I didn't name. And I don't, you know, if he wants to resign, I think I'd be willing to resign him as the Pacers. They need wings badly who can contribute. And I don't know what he can be when he returns from injury, but I don't think any other team does either. And if you trade him, like if you don't think he's going to resign, the Pacers should absolutely, absolutely trade TJ Warren, get value for your guys who could leave. But if they think they're going to keep him, having good wings is good and they can get him for a cheap value coming off of that injury. So I don't know what his value is. If they deal him, I think it's just that they got an indication he would not stay. But other than that, I think I would be looking to keep him if I'm the Pacers. Let's talk targets. Let's talk guys who, to me, you can totally disagree with any of these opinions, but guys who, to me, make the most sense as targets for the Indiana Pacers in their current position. But first, you know the deal by now. It's Locked On Pacers. Let's talk about the good folks over at Bilt Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars ever. And it's the new year. 
mean it's time for New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fitter, eating healthier like mine is, include Built Bar in your plan. They're protein bars that actually taste delicious. They taste like candy bars, maybe better than candy bars. Instead of just tasting like a chemical spill or as Nate Duncan says, typical protein bars taste like the inside of a sawmill. But Built Bar, on the other hand, is actually delicious and super healthy. The peanut butter brownie flavor is so good. The cookie dough flavor is so good. They have these puff flavors that have a little marshmallow action going on that are delicious. They're 100% covered in chocolate. Very healthy. You absolutely have to try them. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, but 17 grams of protein. Perfect meal or snack replacement. You just have to try them. Go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15, again, for 15% off any order at built.com. This segment might be long, 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 long. I have a lot of names. I should have done a just count if seg thing really quick on Excel to see how many names I have typed down. For guys I would be considering targeting as the pitchers, or guys I would be interested in making calls to them and not necessarily receiving them from other teams. And I, I am tiered out as follows. Guys I would give up players plus picks for, which for the Pacers is a very risky proposition in their current situation. I'm not going to say any specific trades or any specific players I would give up, but just know that just because I say someone's name does not mean I, Tony East, would trade Savonis plus picks for that guy. That just means there is a situation where I would give up picks and a player from the Pacers for that guy, but not anything specific. And then I have it as guys I would give up players only for, but not be willing to give up picks. This is basically just a risky valuation for me. And then guys I would target outside of those parameters. So this is basically guys whose value I can't pin down or guys who are on a team that I don't know their direction. And then I have a list of question mark guys that I have no idea what their home team is currently thinking. And then I have Pacers-y things, which is guys that the Pacers could consider that I don't necessarily think make sense, but are still good players that if the Pacers did it, I would understand why. I just wouldn't do it myself. Let's start with the big names that everybody's going to like. Guys, I would give up players and picks for. Now, again, this doesn't mean the Pacers should give up their best player and picks for these guys. This is just, I think these guys are good enough that I'd be willing to give up a good player and a pick for the asset makes sense to me that this guy's going to be good for the Pacers for a long time. That list is the following. And I did not pick guys that are totally unavailable or guys, that, whatever. It doesn't matter why I pick these names. The names I would give up players plus picks for is John Collins from the Atlanta Hawks, Matisse Thibel from the 76ers, Desmond Bain from the Grizzlies, Ben Simmons again from the 76ers, Darren Fox from the Sacramento Kings, Miles Bridges from the Charlotte Hornets, and maybe a little surprising for some of you to hear Cam Johnson from the Phoenix Suns. That is my crew of guys. I would give up a player plus picks for. I guess I could labor on all of them a little bit. John Collins is obviously awesome. Not quite all-star level, but very close. Very talented. Would fit very well with the Pacers. Matisse Thibel is one of the most unique defenders in the NBA and perhaps the best defender in the NBA. If you can get the guy who's the best at something and is already good, I'd be willing to do that. Desmond Bain from Indiana. Extremely good shooter. And the, the problem with Bain is I typed it. When I was creating my list of targets for the Pacers, I started this list when the rebuild report came out in December and I put Bain down. Now I think Desmond Bain might be worth out of the Pacers price range completely. He's a sophomore and he's already a, an effing stud. He is that good that he might be out of the Pacers price range. Ben Simmons. Look, I understand people being polarized about where he is. I'm of the opinion that he is very good and any team would be lucky to have him. Does he fit the way the Pacers play? Not really, but I know he's a proven talented commodity and I'd be willing to give up stuff for him. De'Aaron Fox, same thing. Yes, his, his value is up and down, and he's not been as good for the Kings this year, but should the Pacers be able to acquire him, I think he would help them or be able to play a little more of the Rick Carlisle style. Miles Bridges, I love. I mean, he's obviously grown into quite the player this year. Can defend, high flyer, pretty good shooter developing in that area. 
restricted free agency might make his price a little scary, but I think he'd be a good fit on the Pacers. And Cam Johnson, I just absolutely love for Phoenix. There's no way the Suns would trade him, I think, but he, like Bain, is a knockdown shooter, really good offensive threat that if somehow he became available or the Suns decide to make a big upgrade, I don't think the Suns would necessarily... This is the problem with this. This is just guys I would target. I'm not saying that the Suns would trade Cam Johnson for any Pacers player, but if in any sort of three-team scenario the Pacers can land their hands on Cam Johnson, yeah, I'd give up stuff for him. That'd be a guy I would target. Next tier, guys I would give up players only for. These are guys that I think are good, but maybe not 100% sold on them being great, or they have some downside risk that makes them not worth picks and a quality player. And some of these guys might seem a little more off the wall than others, but let's do it. Number one, Obi Toppin from New York. Uh, kind of buried in their rotation. I think he should be playing every game for them. I think he's talented and good. Uh, number two is Josh Hart, who the Pacers just played the Pelicans. I think he solves a lot of their rebounding issue skills on perimeter players, just a, a smart and talented player. I don't need to labor too much on why these guys are good. I think that is a little too much content for this segment. But the next guys I want to talk about in both, and that is Bojan Bogdanovic and Joe Ingles. And if you're listening, you might be thinking, why the hell would the Pacers target those guys? They don't need old wings. What's the point of that? Well, and I'll get to a few other guys like this later, but the Pacers' wing situation is just bad. Right? It's just crap. And TJ Warren could return and save it. And it's not crap. Justin Holiday and Torrey Crager are fine NBA players. Brissett's kind of nice. Duarte, maybe he's a wing. He's good. Whatever. Their, their wing situation just isn't that good. You can never have too many good wings in the NBA. And if the Jazz really are selling off these vet wings, who you could use to kind of plug and play on your current team and be good and then trade them in the future or just know how your team plays with a value wing like that, I think is a lot of really good data points for the Pacers, and they're just good, having good players to grow. I think every even building teams need a vet or two to be a sage voice and a good player that like when your young team is actually clicking, they can fit in with that group. I think every young team needs vets like that. That's why Kelly Olenek is on the Pistons. That's why Daniel Tice is on the Rockets, right? There, Gary Harris was traded for, but you know, he's on the Magic. And it's similar. Terrence Ross is on the Magic, right? Every team needs guys like that. And the Pacers, I think, getting wings, and especially if the Jazz are willing to move on from those guys, which it sounds like from reporting that they are, that would make a lot of sense to me for the Pacers to get those guys without giving up any picks. Christian Wood is one that I, at the right price, would be willing to get from the Rockets. You know, he his fit there is weird. He's had some weird off-court stuff with them. He's obviously very good, though. I'd be willing to roll the dice on why he could be on a new franchise, knowing full well that it's very risky. He would be up a tier if he didn't have some off-court issues uh, with his prior stops. Colin Sexton is another weird one. He is obviously awesome and will make a ton of money on his next contract. The Pacers are willing to pay it, though, and the Cavs are looking to move on or find a way to be cheaper temporarily before they have to be an expensive team. That could be a way for the Pacers to get a talented youngster on their team. Emmanuel Quickly, another Nick. Man, do I love Emmanuel Quickly. I think he is awesome. I'm close to moving him up to the picks tier. I think he's that good, and the Pacers getting a dynamic guy like that would be wonderful. He's very inefficient on offense as of right now, but he just clearly shows the flashes to me of a guy who will be a good shooter one day and can really move on the floor to be good. Wow, I have so many names to still say. Another guy I almost moved up a tier is P.J. Washington. Just such a versatile defender. Could be a good playoff defender and has some nice offensive skills. Over 40% shooter from three. In fact, he'd be a guy that I'd consider. I should have moved him up to the I'd include picks in it tier. He's really good. And I think P.J. Washington, if the Pacers and Hornets, to connect a real reporting dot, the Pacers and Hornets with Turner, if the Pacers can get P.J. Washington for Turner, I mean, I don't think they can get Bridges, but if they can get P.J. Washington for Turner, I think the Pacers should really consider that. 
Speaking of good defenders, Jay Sean Tate, I don't know why the Rockets would trade him, but I just he's a guy that makes sense as a target to me. He's young. He's very talented. He's 26. He's not young, young, but he's kind of young. He's really talented. He would fit a Pacers need for wing defense. Some interesting uh, lacking offensive skills, but a clearly good player, but they probably can't get him. Same exact situation, except a little younger. Herb Jones from the Pelicans, who the Pacers just played on Monday. Very talented defender, very raw offensive game, but I just love his defense. And really good wing defenders. I have a lot of them kind of listed in general, or guys who could be good wing defenders. I think that kind of mold would fit really well with Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, the two young guys who are clearly a part of the Pacers' young core. So getting guys like that makes a lot of sense to me, and that's why so many of them are on my Pacers' target list. Two more from the most recent NBA draft, Moses Moody with Golden State, who they might be willing to part with as they make you know upgrades to be a, a potential championship contender. They're top three in the West. And Quentin Grimes on the Knicks. Uh, they picked him 25th. I love his game. As a point guard, I don't know how the Pacers would fit another point guard on their team, but he's talented. The Knicks might be looking for upgrades. He's another one I'd be looking at. That's a lot of names, but I'm going to keep that list. I almost just deleted it in my Excel sheet so I know the best group. And then the outside of those parameters group is just like, I don't know what their team thinks of them. Uh, one of these guys I'd probably be willing to give up solid stuff for. But Nick Claxton, Bruce Brown, and Darius Baisley are three guys that I think have Vers- shown at least at times in their career that they can be versatile or skilled or just play a unique role in the NBA that their teams might be looking to upgrade from or move on from. Uh, for Nick Claxton, it could be to upgrade stuff for the Nets. For Bruce Brown, it could be to cut salaries for the Nets. Bruce Brown is of that wing mold that I think could make sense for the Pacers. Bruce Brown starts often for Brooklyn. I don't think they'd be willing to deal him, but if they were looking to get cheaper, man, oh man, would that be a fun idea. For the Pacers and then Baisley, I don't know why the Thunder of all teams would all of a sudden uh, be looking to to trade away their young pieces. And his offensive game, very raw and weak. But his athletic, you can never have too many young athletic wings if the Pacers could swing that. I think that'd be wonderful. The last one in this group is Jared Vanderbilt. I think he would definitely value-wise should be up a tier. I just don't know how the Timberwolves value him. I mean, he is an awesome defender, awesome defender, an awesome play finisher. If the Pacers could get him, he would fit extremely well with their team. So that is the last tier of guys I would target outside of those parameters. Can they get creative in a way that it's just picks or it's just one of their low value players and an interesting pick? Like it doesn't take the stuff that is on the market for the Pacers to get some of those guys. And then here are the other names that I have in a category currently on my list called a bunch of question marks. I don't know what the deal is with them. Patrick Williams from the Bulls, fourth overall pick in the 2021 draft. Draft classes are so hard to keep up. A 2020 draft, excuse me. He's hurt for the Bulls. His name's been floated as like a guy they might trade for Jeremy Grant. I don't know how the Bulls and Pacers would link up in a trade, but maybe in a three-team deal, the Pacers could swing him. I don't know. If he is truly available, that is the kind of stuff the Pacers should be all over. Former top five picks, but I don't know how they get that value. Same with Jonathan Kuminga. Like if the Warriors are trying to make this huge jump to be much better, He's a former lotto pick in the 2021 draft. That would make some sense. But again, the reason these guys are in the question mark category is because I don't see any reason why their team would trade them. But if the Pacers can jump on it, it would make some sense. Devin Vassell uh, with San Antonio is another guy of that of that uh, category that I don't like. Why would the Spurs trade him? I have no idea, but he's good. And if the Pacers could somehow end up with him, that'd be cool. James Booknight, I should have perhaps moved into the I would trade players for tier. I don't see why all of a sudden the Hornets would be like, yeah, we love this guy and now we're going to deal him. But they don't play him very much, so perhaps they'd be willing to move on from him for a more immediate contributor as they push for the playoffs. He just got picked 11th overall in the 2021 draft. Very talented offensive player at UConn. That could be one the Pacers push for. Uh, Denny, Denny Avdia and Rui Achimura with the Wizards. What are they doing? Are they trying to be good? Are they trying to be bad? They're going to have to impress Bradley Beal at some point. If they're trying to be good now, perhaps those two guys could be 
targets from the Wizards, although I have no idea what direction they're heading. Deuce McBride with the Knicks. I absolutely love him. He'd be an interesting target. Bones Highland with the Nuggets, another one that why would the Nuggets deal him? I have no idea. He's young and he's good, but they are also trying to be awesome this year, and he is maybe their best ticket to doing so. There's a lot of these names on the question mark list. Um, Amir Coffey and Keon Johnson with the Clippers, if they decide to try to be good and push stuff with Paul George and Kawhi this year, but they might be looking to tear down too if those guys aren't returning this year, so they're in the question mark category. Derek White, another spur. He's very talented, I think, and he's uh, still on his rookie deal or is is on his first contract off of it. Yes, his first contract off of it. Uh, but he's older, right? He got picked really old. He's 27 already. I just think his skills would fit very well with Duarte's two ball nosy guards on defense. And the last one in my question marks category is Josh Jackson with Detroit. You know, he was a former top pick, and he hasn't really panned out at all. But you know, he's he, he was good with Detroit last year at 13 points a game. Has shown enough interesting skills for me to sniff around on what he could be as a two-way guy flyer for your team, he's only 24. That is my question marks list. The last list here is the Pacers E list. Guys that it would be the very Pacers to push for it this year and get these guys. And these guys are all good enough that they'll be good next year and the year after. And then that could make the Pacers threats in future years. And that's why they're Pacers E. Right? Going for like a one-year good guy to push for the play in this year, that's not Pacers E. That despite what people say, that is not very Pacers E. These guys are good this year and would be good in future years. And so they are pacers in that the Pacers would try to get better now, which seems like a bad idea given that they are ill-fitting and bad, but they just hired Rick Carlisle to be their coach. It's not crazy that they go this direction. I have three names here. One of them does not belong, and that's Jalen Brunson. He should maybe be somewhere else, but Jalen Brunson would be an upgrade at a lot of positions for the Pacers, and the Mavs are reported the in on uh, Miles Turner. I don't know what kind of deal that would look like, but the very Pacers you would be to get Jalen Brunson and really push this year in Carlisle had Brunson on his team last year, which is why I moved him to this category. Um, but I suppose Brunson should be more in the player trades category. The two really Pacers E names to me here are Gordon Hayward and Pascal Siakam. I don't know if the Raptors would be looking to move Siakam. I don't know if the Hornets would be willing to move Hayward, but it would be very Pacers E to those guys are under contract for a few more seasons. They're really good. Now they play a position that is valuable and not really necessarily on the Pacers team. That seems like something the Pacers would do right now to try to continue to be good in the, let's just pretend it's Turner and a, a wing salary and a pick or something for Hayward or Siakam. It would take more to get Siakam. Siakam was second team all NBA a few years ago. But that sort of framework, as my voice deteriorates, for those guys, right? Then all of a sudden your core is Brogdon, Siakam, Sabonis, and whatever you keep plus your young guys. That's not a crazy idea, right? That team could be pretty good next year. If health permitting, knock on wood, it's the Pacers. We know how that goes. That also could maybe bring Warren back. All of a sudden, they've got, you know, Duarte, Jackson, Goga's your backup big. You've got a little bit of a youth pipeline there. O'Shea, Brissett would still maybe be on your team in that case, depending on how many picks you give up. Plus, a, a starting lineup that features two or three all star caliber players. You know, that seems like a Pacers y kind of thing because they could roll that dice for two or three seasons and continue to push their chips in on the core that they've started to build. But that seems very ill-advised given how the last two seasons have gone for this team. But it would not shock me if they went that route. And that's why I wanted to include it in the Pacers E section. I have no idea where to include Jalen Brunson in these categories. So I put him in this one. Maybe I missed someone here. Maybe some other star adjacent. I don't, you know, stars getting traded is not really a thing that happens. Last year was the outlier with the Harden stuff happening. Last year was definitely the outlier. Stars don't get traded that much. It's a very rare thing. But star adjacent are good players. I don't know that that many will become available this season. So it's tough to see the very many guys who fit that category that I just described of 
Pacers E where they could really push and get someone like that this year. If you think I missed someone, yell at me on Twitter at T East NBA if you made it this far. Thank you so much. Or at Locked On Pacers where this podcast will tweet out all of its shows. Thank you guys a ton for listening. Hope you enjoyed and got some some thoughts and names in your head that you might be interested in for this Pacers trade deadline. We'll be back tomorrow to talk Pacers Hornets and some other general team topics as the season progresses and the deadline gets even closer. Everybody have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow.